buckle up and get ready for the journey as we navigate the ongoing relationship between belief and life, theology and doxology, or as we like to say, theodox. Welcome to the Theodox Podcast. Welcome to Theodox Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Gracie Calhoun, along with... Hey, I'm Joshua Brooks, and today we have Matt Davis, our guest. And before we get going too far, Matt, I just want to know um, why you don't believe the earth is flat. Why I don't believe the earth is flat. Well, (laughs) I know there's metaphorical language in Scripture, but it says that the Lord sits on the circle of the earth. And I think that's a good starting place, and we're going to use that. Yeah. Wow. Not just because. <laughs> I mean, there's no other like proof or reason. I mean, I could go to a bunch of scientific uh, scientific reasons, but I are there was, any really? I mean, because I'm not sure I subscribe to. <laughs> He's a flat earther. Oh, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that sounds like another podcast yeah. for another day. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, Matt, if we can be serious, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm pastor of Greenwood Baptist Church here in town. I'm about six and a half years into that and married. My wife is Casey. We have six kids. My oldest is 21. Went all the way down to nine. Uh, I'm originally from Athens, uh, title town right now. Mm -hmm. Lived there 38 years before I moved to Greenwood. And uh, I teach part-time at Greenwood Christian as well. Government, economics, Bible, Mm -hmm. and U.S. history. Um, do that in the mornings and then go about pastoring in the afternoon. So, nice. right. and that's the rest a, of the week. That's a full plate. <laughs> it's My a good vocational time. route is, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It is, it is a good time and the Lord yeah. gives a lot of grace for sure. Yeah. So what we're going to do, um, and, and this conversation is we're going to kind of work backwards a little bit, or maybe just, I don't know if it's backwards or if it's continuing to go forward, but. Um, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so in thinking about doxology, our lives are meant to worship God and, and that theology is that fuel for worship that by studying God and getting to know God, we therefore live to worship him. So we want to have a conversation about um, what is the source for that theology? Like, how do we study God? How do we get to know God? Yeah. Um, so um, obviously that's going to lead us to you know, I think in the first episode, Ryan mentioned there's um, there's general revelation. Mm-hmm. You have things like nature that lets us know there is a yes. creator. Yes. Uh, but it's not very specific. Right. And so um, that's I mean, what we want to do. Because you would have people say, like, I get to know God by sitting in nature, listening, seeing the view. Or, Fishing is my church. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or experiencing a beautiful sunrise or something yeah. like that uh, yeah. would be their way of getting to know God. So I guess, yeah. first of all, us kind of pointing out, is this a way to get to know God or is this not? Kind of like what you were saying, general yeah. revelation or specific. Um, so kind of keep going there <laughs> with what you Yeah. Saying. I mean, is that a, is that an appropriate way to get to know God? I mean, it's a, it's a starting point. Um, it's uh, essentially letting us see the power of God, but there's so much information that's left out when you talk about general revelation. Right. General revelation isn't able to do what Second Timothy 3.16 says, correct us, right. prove us, instruct us in righteousness, mm-hmm. equip us for mm-hmm. every good work. And uh, specifically general revelation doesn't show us anything specifically about God's love. 
It doesn't show us anything about why this world, as beautiful as it is, yeah. mm -hmm. is so messed up in so many ways. And so to just revel in general revelation really leaves, makes us fall short of understanding who God is. I think it's specific or special revelation that makes general revelation so great for us. Yeah. Right. Because then we're able to understand the attributes of God better. I'm so glad that he didn't, didn't just leave us with beautiful sunsets, but right. knowledge of who he actually is. Yeah, I mean, even to think of Job, I mean, God used nature as an example to prove to Job. He's, you know, basically, where were you when I hung the stars? Yeah. You know, um, where were you when I told the oceans they can only come this far? Yeah. I mean, so it was not just the fact that there is general revelation yeah. or that there is nature. It was the fact that he... Yes. did it, yeah. you know, and so that's saying something about him and his power. Reminds me a little of Psalm 19, which I think really shows this division between general and special revelation. Psalm 19, I mean, day into day utter speech. I mean, it's just God's power is seen everywhere. But then there's this switch around verse six or verse seven, where he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Hmm. All that we see in general revelation is not going to lead to conversion. Right. And, and so it can tell us the greatness of God, but it can't specifically show us how to relate to him. Yeah, yeah. it shows us his beauty, uh, but it doesn't show us specifics, yeah. right? Like his character, his nature, his desires, yeah. commands, Absolutely. promises. Um, another issue created by this approach is it is completely subjective. Yes. Um, so like, I hate fishing. The other person that loves fishing and that's their worship or that's their way of knowing God, that would definitely not be my, my version. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's subjective. I like sunrises, but I hate getting up early. So that wouldn't be mine either. Yeah. Um, so that, that definitely falters there yeah. because it's, it's all relative in that yeah. sense. But God is God, not because of a sunrise. Um, mm. There is so much more concreteness Absolutely. there. So um, getting to know God in more of a, um, a true, I guess, authoritative way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was preaching in Acts 17 yesterday. Paul is brought before the Areopagus, essentially pagan Athenians who have no knowledge of God. And the thing that he begins with is creation. Mm. He is the creator. Right. But then he begins to, to fill in beyond creation just this information that should lead them to worship or at least knowledge who God is. He's Lord. He's sovereign. He sets the boundaries of nations. He created everyone from one man. And then he ends up with this statement of, hey, you're going to face judgment from mm -hmm. this God. Yeah. And uh, that is guaranteed because his son uh, was raised from the dead. And of course they shut him down at that point, but Paul didn't just camp out on the creative aspect or that was foundational. He moves from that right. to what they actually needed mm -hmm. and, and which should have ultimately led that entire assembly to fall down in worship. And they didn't, mm -hmm. yeah. but it says that a few did that there was uh, one of the leaders who came and a woman named Damaris who came and, and came to worship God, came to worship Christ because of that. Yeah. It's also subjective in the sense, I guess, going along with that, that um, people can make God be like whatever they want him to be yeah. like. You know, mm. when they say, oh, I, I, I get to know God when I'm looking in the trees mm. and sitting in the woods. Well, what is that like? It's yeah. like whatever you're imagining. Yeah. So you you are so much more prone to create an idol mm -hmm. yes. of God or what you think God is like 
uh, whenever it's that subjective. Man, that's so good. Romans 1 says that the creation began to worship the creation mm. instead of the creator. Right. And they took him and made him into idols. They took his glory and traded it in for something that was so much less. So I think you're spot on with that. It's so subjective. We can make a God of our own liking instead of a God of who he actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And similar, similarly, <laughs> um, I've heard people like define um, the Bible as God's love letter mm. to humanity or yeah. God's little instruction book for life. Um, so it's very important for us to define the Bible. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's look into defining it and why the definition matters. Yes. I'm dropping that there. So you're welcome. <laughs> well, yeah, we're dropping it like gravity on a round earth. Um, <laughs> No, so how, how would you start to define what the Bible is? Um, you know, this idea of the Bible being God's instruction book, um, a, a love letter or something like that, I think that only hits it part of what right. the Scripture is. If you think of it in in those terms, it can reduce the Scripture to, hmm. a, to a manual on how to do life. Now, God knows us. He created mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. He knows our frame. He knows what will lead to our ultimate happiness. But if you think about um, just putting it as an instruction manual, what we'll do is, is we'll reduce the Bible to mere moralism if we're not careful. So do, do, do don't. do this yeah. don't do this yeah. so it's so we're, what All we're going to do is is we're going to end up trying to constantly we're going to try to constantly line up with that and it's going to be this constant source of frustration because i will never be able to follow the instructions mm -hmm. yeah. perfectly it's going to lead to just so much despair because that's not what god ultimately intended the scripture to be and i think that is what a lot of american christianity has been yes yeah. It's been a lot of do's and don'ts, and it's unfortunate we're seeing so much deconstructionism in our day. But I think a lot of that, you know, is a is a fallout yeah. from a constant. Well, maybe not. We can get into false teachings, and that's going to be another day. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I think that is a, a an issue in common yeah. American Christianity now. Is yeah. the Bible is an instruction book? An instruction book tells you how to do something. Mm -hmm. But uh, instructions, like we could have instructions on any of our gadgets here and tell us how to do what we would need to do on them, mm -hmm. but that doesn't affect our heart no. at all. Yeah. Right. Instructions don't. Yeah. You know, um, Scripture ultimately reveals who God is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who God is, what is wrong with us, and how to know and glorify God. So essentially Scripture is showing us who God is and how we can relate to Him. And we're going to find out very quickly that we don't relate well because we're his enemies. We're That's losers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just straight up losers. <laughs> we, and so um, an instruction manual really misses the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture from beginning to end, starting really mm -hmm. in Genesis 3 all the way to the end, is about God's love for us and, and Jesus being at the center of the Scripture. I think mm -hmm. of what First Peter says, First uh, Peter 1, he talks about, um, the salvation that was prophesied in the Old Testament, that the Spirit of Christ was in those prophets, and they were looking for 
who this person was going to be and when he was going to come and that they weren't serving mm. themselves. They were serving us so that we would have a full concept of the gospel. But we see even in the Old Testament, these prophets only had snippets of the Messiah and Jesus and what he was going to do. It was mm. present or he was present in the Old Testament. All of that, mm. I like to tell our people, the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of Christ and what right. he's going to do. And the New Testament looks back to what he has done. Yeah. Right. And then some of the problems with thinking about this as a love letter, um, the love letters are primarily about the recipient, right? Mm. It's all about right. us. Oh, um, so the Bible is not about us. I'm mm. sure it addresses us sure. and we can find ourselves in it. Um, but it's not primarily we're the crowd about us. Cr crying, crucify him. Who yes. will find us in it? Yeah. Yeah. We're the scared. We're the scared Israelites uh, when we David are, is, is yes, wanting to yeah. fight Goliath. Yeah. So that's we you, are that's Barabbas. Yeah. Like, uh, As one person said, we are not David. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so then we start to um, make it more about ourselves rather than about God. Yeah. Another implication of this um, is that it becomes about the prosperity gospel. God kind of becomes a butler of sorts um, mm -hmm. and acts on our actions, our feelings. And our desires mm. um, instead of his. It yeah. becomes about us because yeah. we are, um, in essence, when we think about it that way, we become the recipient. Um, yeah. We also then diminish some of his other attributes that are yes. opposing to love, his yeah. wrath, his ven vengeance, his um, justice, his, his righteousness. righteous hate, his yeah. righteous anger, like his righteous jealousy. Yeah. Um, some of those things start to diminish when we only look at his love and his grace and it being yeah. a love letter. Yeah. Um, and so then we can't fully see God's image because we're yeah. just leaving those out, then we can't obviously try to bear God's image fully because we aren't yeah. looking at it wholly. We miss out on the greatness of his love if we don't see the full picture. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was Spurgeon who said that if you want to really make a diamond sparkle, put it on a black backdrop. Mm. Yeah. And so it is until we see what we deserve right. and how unable we are to please God in any way and that he loves us still that we really can't even begin to comprehend. The gospel life. conversation is our next podcast. Wow. <laughs> we'll get too far into that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, but you're right. It's the full, it's the, it's a fuller understanding of, you know, God is, and this is terrible, you know, fall short analogy, but he's, he's a diamond of sorts that we're constantly seeing different perspectives on yeah. mm -hmm. and to take all of that and kind of strip it away to one little perspective mm. right. is, is, is horrific and it's dangerous for our own understanding as well. Yeah. We I mean, wouldn't even want to be known that way. No, no, no. no you're right. I mean, it, like the love letter aspect again is kind of like, and this is a finite analogy, but being at the edge of the Grand Canyon and just looking at yourself in a mirror. Like there's all the wonder and the splendor right there, but the love letter is so focused mm -hmm. on us yeah. and what we get from it rather than yeah. looking at his glory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there is just not much about any of us that's worthy. Our, our, our biggest, I guess our problem though is our human nature wants it to be about us. Right. We make it be about us. And so, um, I mean, it's a love letter from God about God. Well, those are, we say, <laughs> well, so I would, I think it's best to say that whether when you say things like it's a love letter to humanity or it's an instruction manual for life, we're not denying that it gives us instructions. Absolutely. Right. We're not denying that it speaks 
uh, paramountly of, yeah. of a scandalous love for humans. Um, but what we're saying is that those need to be sub-definitions or right. sub-categories because mm -hmm. there's, there's always like a, a greater all-encompassing definition that kind of helps put things in a better because these are going to these are going to impact how we read it yes mm -hmm. so if someone says well this is an instruction manual then they're going to read it like you said in a way just always looking for instructions and it's mm -hmm. never going to impact our heart if someone's reading it as god's love letter then it's going to be constantly reading it as man i am just the the apple of his eye and yeah. i can do no wrong and he mm -hmm. bends worlds for me and yeah. you know and it's um yeah that's you know yeah. when we think about salvation all that's true. That is true. Um, but uh, we're pretty wretched before that, though. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we during. have to wrestle with that. On, again, that's the conversation. <laughs> next one. Don't get into the God. I'm sorry. <laughs> so let's I mean, I like to frame my understanding of the Bible as it is God speaking to reveal himself. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it helps me orient my purpose for reading it being to know God. Mm -hmm. Right. Firstly. And to know that these are his, his words, he owns them. Just as, you know, we're sitting here speaking now, and in a sense, we own the words that we're saying. No one else can take mm -hmm. um, credit for what's coming out of my mouth or blame. You know, I've, yeah. I've got to take the blame for that. Mm -hmm. And so just as we own our words in a much greater way, God owns his. And that, when, uh, to me, that's a safe way of reading the Bible, and I guess just get your thoughts on that, if there's any difference there or, or from you all. No, I mean, I, I would I would totally agree with that. Um, just to look at it through the lens of understanding it within its context and actually trying to discern its meaning, um, and, and we'll probably talk about this a little later, but I, I think this kind of cuts against us just opening the Bible and mm -hmm. reading a little section mm -hmm. every day because we're going to be totally ripping it out of the context of what God right. means. And this is... Don't get me wrong. I don't want everybody mad at me. This is one yeah, of the issues. Get mad at <laughs> <laughs> this is this is one of the issues that we have sometimes with even artwork that we put on our walls and mm -hmm. those I call them the Hobby Lobby verses. Mm -hmm. It's these verses that are ripped totally from yep. context that really say something other than God intended, but right. it's meant to make <laughs> us feel good. Right. Yep. And it it sometimes cuts against the nature of God and what it means. So this. If we're going to understand God, then let's read it the way that he gave it to us. Let's read it in context and and portions. Read a book from beginning to end. I'm not right. saying that it's wrong to to just read a chapter or read a verse, but that shouldn't be our main yeah. diet of things. Yeah. Right. The smaller the snippet that you're reading, the easier it is. It's like watching a newscast and yeah. you'll, you know, I've seen a speech that somebody mm -hmm. gave and then the new cat newscast shows mm -hmm. a portion of it. And I'm like, that's not what that person meant when <laughs> yeah. they said that, you know? Like what we're going to do with your words tonight. We're oh, going to take yes, it and cut fine. it up and yes. like Matt said all kind of crazy stuff. Just twist them out of context. Uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, also, as the very words of God, he owns them and he owns their meaning and their purpose and their power. Um, that is what makes the Bible authoritative. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk just a minute about the authority of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, firstly, I would just want to address, um, I, I know there's, when it comes, I've, I've heard this, so, 
any thoughts on this? I've heard that when we say that the Bible is the ultimate authority because it claims to be authoritative, that that's circular logic. Yes. So what would be any thoughts on that, um, <laughs> that, that point? Yeah, well, you know, I preached uh, a few weeks ago from 2 Timothy 3.16. It was before you had contacted me about this. And I remember going through that, and I, I was preaching a, a larger section there, but I remember going through that and thinking, you know, uh, some of this, there is a circle logic, circular mm -hmm. logic that you goes with this. can't necessarily get around that. Right. It, yeah. it's, it's self authenticating in mm -hmm. a sense. Now we can look at other things that would, that would allow us to say, well, this has authority because this is true. It's been proven true over time. And I've seen this and historically we see this and there's an element of circular logic there, but there's circular logic with, with anything that right. claims to be authoritative. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be self-authenticating mm -hmm. in some sense, right. or somebody is going to have to come and say that it is and be the authority. And the question is, is it going to be a human being or is right. it going mm -hmm. to be God? Who's <laughs> right. going to say That's where like non-believers and believers, there's a flat line. Like we're on the same page there. We have um, our own final authority, whether like you're saying that is God or whether that's self, mm -hmm. even by saying, if I were to say there is no truth, that is a truth statement. Yes. So that would be, I would be the final authority yeah. in that sense. So that is still circular logic. Yes. Um, so I don't think any of us can necessarily get around that when there is a final authority. Mm. Um, so non-believers, believers alike, we all share in that. Even um, spherical earth people. <laughs> like I me. mean, keep going like back what, to like this. Me. <laughs> what, like what makes most of humanity. What makes those claims <laughs> authoritative? I mean, the people that, Playing how, how, many people, how many people have been outside of, well, if there is an outside of earth, whatever, but how many, how many people have been outside of earth? This just became a different type how of many? podcast. Any idea? That's for another podcast. No, but Remember, no, but, but how many? Just take a guess. I have no idea. I've, 50, 200. 200? I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. Not, in the grand scheme of many. the human history, that is a... Minuscule amount. That's fewer people that witnessed the resurrection of Christ. It is. By a large number. Mm -hmm. It's a larger number of people than who wrote the scripture, though. Than who wrote it, it. yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess my point being that we believe those things yes. we based just take on it for what, it is. what people have said. Now, I know they're going to be like, well, they're, I'm not really a flat earther. This is all a joke. <laughs> and if you are, I don't care. I'm, I'm really kind of on the fence. <laughs> um, but the fence is not round. It's flat. Um, no, um... Yeah, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> you were saying we take it for what it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, right. And and so and that you on your point of you know non-believers and believers, you know everyone has those things that we believe that in reality there is very little concrete evidence oh. for them. And, and, it, and it's interesting to me that people take Christianity and and the Bible and say this you know. This is just written by humans. Well, you know what every textbook, every history book is written by? Yeah. Um, anyway, that's an, that whole validation is another whole well, argument, I guess. I mean, but. just think about the, the scripture itself, like the, the manuscripts that we have. And I, I think that there are maybe 10 fragments of Homer's Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And nobody questions whether right. that's what it says. Yeah. We got 5,000 New Testament manuscripts. And people are, ah, is that really what God said? I mean, we can look at it and we can compare and we can get to it. So, um, yeah, people believe 
like will base their souls on a lot less evidence than we have from the scripture. Right. right. Yeah. Now, I mean, don't get us wrong. Like if, um, as far as like, if the, the Bible has to be um, completely true, like for one piece of it to be true, it has mm. to be all true. Yes. Um, so for us to put our faith and our hope in that and to claim those, those are God's words. Um, we have to hold to all of it as well. Like I know I've personally heard someone say, well, I believe parts of the Bible, but not all of it. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, as believers, um, we have to hold to all of it and non-believers have to hold, I mean, if you want to, none of it, like it's one or the other, in essence, it's either all correct or all incorrect. Um, so something y'all said made me think about that. (laughs) You know, unbelievers, I I guess if, if we're talking about circular logic and it being the final or them being the final authority, I think the question that we can go to them with Hmm. this is what is ultimately going to provide you hope? Uh, yeah. What is ultimately going to be sure and stable mm-hmm. in the long run? Uh, something that is outside of yourself, something that is given evidence of being eternal. And I think we can even point lost people to the fact that um, their morality, I mean, most people would claim to be moral in some mm-hmm. way, that their morality is either given to them by God, which Romans 2 says, they do the mm-hmm. things that are contained in the law, not knowing the law, right. or they've grown up in a culture that was influenced right. by right. that. And so um, it all goes back to God in some way anyway. Mm -hmm. What is going to be eternal for them? What is going to be sure in the long run? Yeah. So we've hit on why the, you know, the authority of it some. There's much more than we said by that. (laughs) So let's let's hit a little bit on how. Okay. Um, So, Matt, just a question for you as a pastor. Uh, When you prepare and deliver a sermon, what are some ways you try to guide your congregation um, to understand the Bible on their own. Okay. Um, I, I'll state up front that uh, pastors differ on this, okay? Sure. But for me, 90% of the preaching that I do would be called expository preaching. Uh, the point of the passage is the point of the message. And that means the majority, the vast majority of the time, we're going to be going sequentially through a book, looking at it in the context mm-hmm. of the greater scripture. What testament are we in? Um, the context of the work of Jesus and then the context of the book itself. And so um, some guys are really good at at topical. I'm not. I don't trust myself with it. Mm -hmm. And I say I don't trust myself with it because of taking the snippets here and there and Mm -hmm. shading them to say Mm -hmm. what I ultimately want to say. So um, I want people to be able to walk away from a message that I've preached and see the thought process and that the thought process is actually mirroring the thought process of the writer. Mm-hmm. So this is what this is what Luke said in Acts 17. Here is his main thought. Here is the main point of the passage. And I try to give people the main point of the passage and then walk through it to where when they get home, if they've written down the outline, they can take that passage themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And say, I see this, I see this, I see this. They might have more understanding because I've explained it, but they can see it. Because ultimately what I don't want our people to do is to view me as somebody having special insight. Right. And someone that they have to come to in order to understand God's word, that they can take the same approach Mm -hmm. of studying in context and uh, comparing with other scripture and looking at it in the context of the Testament or whatever it is that they can look at that and they can begin to understand the scripture themselves. Yeah. So you're saying you're not the Pope? I'm not. 
I am not. Uh, my children can uh, testify to that. <laughs> you are fallible. <laughs> well, the fact that I have children. <laughs> also. Oh, yeah. Well, that. Um, so how do you prepare for that? Like what? I mean, I know. I mean, how do you approach scripture for yourself in order to prepare for delivering that that way? So um, there, there are two different ways that the pastors approach this. Some will include their their sermon prep as their personal devotional prep. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy named Mark Dever, I believe, does that. John Piper said that he kept his separate. I tend to keep mine separate. Um, I read in different places in the scripture than I'm actually preparing from. But uh, I'm going to begin just by by reading uh, reading the passage. I'm going to read it several times, and then I'm going to write down, okay, here's what is the big thought in this? What is the flow of the passage? And then I'm going to begin organizing it. But I just want people as they're going through it. Um, you know, I can bring up the meaning of Greek words. I can bring up the meaning of Hebrew words. I can bring in different authors and those type things. But in the end, when all that is stripped away, can they see Mm -hmm. that I have followed what the passage said and that uh, my point is ultimately God's point? So that's the question that I'm asking. And then I also ask a question at the end. And the question is, so what? So here's this truth. Mm-hmm. What, did I, what do I do with this truth? Yeah. And I teach our people that it's important to not walk away from every passage of Scripture with something new to do. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> there's something just to believe. Yeah. yeah. Or some realization about God or some truth to embrace. Mm-hmm. Some worship that needs to take place. There are times I get to the end of a passage and I'm like, believers, what needs to happen at the end of this is you need to worship God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This isn't... Go that's, out and do better. Yeah. That's the ultimate aim, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Worshiping God. I think there's some things also like as like the church as a whole, um, at least this is something I see in my church and I believe this is pretty common um, for um, churches to do to kind of get their congregation to start like thinking on these things, understanding the Bible on their own as far as like community groups for them to kind of rehash that same sermon, yes. talking through it, even like reading the scripture publicly. Um, so that way it's like as a group, everyone's reading it together. Yeah. Um, I know some churches don't put the scripture up on the screen, just encouraging um, everyone to bring their own copy. I know mm. that was something Ryan mentioned that he does with his youth group mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um right. And then some churches do like a round table of sorts as well. Just kind of like you were talking about previously of just kind of rehashing again, like the pastors talking about that same sermon, Mm. not to say that that's like pastor specific, but these are things like the church as a whole, um, that I've seen them do as well. Um, so kind of piggybacking on that question as well. Um, why would you want your congregants to understand the scripture on their own? Mm. Um, there is just so much uncertainty around us right now, and to not um, to think of it this way, um, we it, it would be like living across from a grocery store and um, having money, but continually being hungry hmm. and continually starving. Hmm. And, and it's not that you don't have time because you're playing video games, you're going to school, you're going to work, you're hanging out with your friends. You even go and walk around the grocery store sometimes yeah. hmm. and look around. 
but you're you're starving. And my concern is, is that as American Christians, and I'm sure this has been a problem throughout history, uh, but as American Christians that we are the most, we have the most access to the scripture and to sound scriptural teaching, but right. we are the most spiritually malnourished. <laughs> and so I want people to understand so that they can know who God is, so they can walk in confidence in who he is, walk in confidence of his love, but then also so that they can minister to people who are also starving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, beggars, showing beggars where to find bread. <laughs> and I'm not going to go any further because I don't want to get into the gospel <laughs> episode. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> no, but, you know, there's um, it. that was a very um, harsh statement you, you just made, and I don't think you intended that. But to say that that's the majority of American church is true, and that's very, very um, yeah, that's that's very hard to swallow. Well, that know. that's me a lot of times as a pastor. Well, sure. I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and know? and so um, also for a pastor, one of the reasons a pastor would want his congregants to understand the scripture is because pastors are fallible, yeah. and churches are fallible, and for people to know rightly and to know how to deal with things that aren't done rightly, they have to be able to see that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, it's an interesting point when you couple together the, yes. the statement of American Christianity there, we're all, we're starving. We're, we have this right here before us, but we're not taking advantage of it. And as well as, uh, maybe there are a lot of leaders that aren't feeding it and aren't giving it. And, um, so then they're not as guarded. They're not, uh, anyway, that's a vicious cycle. A lot, I of, think. A lot of the scandals that we've seen in church, um, probably comes from spiritually deficient discipleship. People yeah. not knowing how to read the scripture. Yeah. And, and even yesterday, I began the sermon that I preached with, I said something wrong a few weeks ago. It was not in line with scripture. We've mm-hmm. got to always be conformed to that. And the thing that stung a little bit was I had three or four people come up afterwards and were like, yeah, we talked about that when we got <laughs> home. We're, we're glad that yeah. you said you something. You don't get emails on that? <laughs> no, I didn't. I got a text. And right. it, was, it was encouraging in the long run, but it was still, you know, my wife and I talked about right. That. And, you know, we didn't think that that was in line with scripture. And that yeah. actually made me happy that there were several people yeah. Who, yeah. who had a problem they with it. The that they had that the red house. flag to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a very skeptical person because of the church we grew up in. Mm. Um, but because I had been taught a lot of things that were just not completely accurate. And so coming up out of that, I became a very skeptical person. Mm-hmm. And where can you go to find truth? Right. Yeah. Scripture is pure. Like yeah. that's where we go to find truth. Yeah. So like that skepticism should drive us to find truth and to find it in scripture because that's the only place we will. Yeah. But one just really quick, one other thing that we do to try and help people engage with the scripture as far as worship is the way that we lay our worship gathering out from beginning to end follows a, a flow of what somebody's personal time with the Lord could look like. Mm-hmm. We begin intentionally with adoration. We have it on the screen, our adoration of God. Scripture, a song that reflects that confession of sin, Mm -hmm. thanksgiving for the gospel, preparation for the word. Okay, here's the word. It's spoken to me. Then what is our response to that? A song that is clearly in response to that. And then supplication or intercession based on what we've read. Mm. The reading of the scripture. This is God's word to us, like a, a chapter 
a, a week and then a response of confidence as we go out in the world, a, a song usually that points us to God's power and his omnipotence. And so we're just trying to organize everything to where people just have this rhythm of when I come to God's word, this is the way that I'm going to view it, the way that I'm going to think about it and respond to God. Yeah. I know a couple of things and then we'll move to this next point real quick. Yeah. But um, it's it's helpful for people to know, and this is going on along the lines of preaching so your congregation understands how to study scripture, but it's it's important for people to know that there is a grand narrative that ties all of scripture together. Mm-hmm. It's important for helping them guard against false teaching because one of the quickest things is when you hear something that doesn't line up with this grand narrative of scripture, it's like immediate red flag. Yeah. And um, so when we talk about God is the creator. We talk about the fall of creation, redemption through Christ and glorification and seeing this, this theme, just story woven throughout mm-hmm. scripture. Then we know that whatever we teach, if it's not in line with that or whatever we hear, whatever we, someone says, you know, that's an immediate um, red flag. But um, do you think it's the responsibility of the pastor to continually bring that grand narrative into in, into play, in other words, to remind people of this grand narrative and not just view books in isolation. Have you have you seen that? Is that helpful to you to be constantly reminded of that? Or oh yeah, I mean because if if the whole Bible is not coherent, going back to mm-hmm. either the whole thing's true or it's not, and one of the ways that it's getting gotten picked apart throughout time is oh we take this little thing and show how it contradicts this little thing, and so it's it's much easier to be put in a position where you don't feel like you can understand that or defend that, mm-hmm. but whenever Scripture is continually put forth in such a way where this is the story that's being told. This passage primarily has to, you know, it deals with this phase of the grand narrative. Yes. Or this passage reveals these three elements of the grand narrative. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, however that's working together because each book of the Bible is going to have yeah. this narrative working through it. So I don't, I don't know if I would say the responsibility um, is there. I think if, if the goal of the pastor is to have his congregation mature as scripture calls, then mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing. I, I struggle to go so far as to, yeah. to make it anything harsher than that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think it's somewhat neglectful. I'll just say that that way. No. Somewhat neglectful. If, if it's not at least, uh, it might not be pinpointed. Like that's we can in our in our podcast on false teaching we're going to get into specific and thematic false teaching and i think that's also a positive thing like um who was the 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 doxology guest tim tim yes sorry but tim talked about as he's organizing songs to sing he's singing through this grand narrative yeah and the congregation doesn't necessarily know that yeah so it doesn't have to be specifically said mm-hmm. but i think being done reminds people of that whether yeah. it's specific or not so i think kind of like we say our kids a lot is caught not taught yes and i think it's the same way yeah modeling that in preaching sometimes it's not even using the jargon it's just continually bringing yes. this 
this view of scripture. And so I tell you, I come from a context that was very solid theologically, but it tended to be more systematic theology. Mm-hmm. So t- topical theology instead of biblical theology, right. which is this meta narrative that yeah. you're talking about right. God's unfolding plan of redemption and where this fits into that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think a wise pastor is going to, even if he's not using the language is going to be incorporating yeah. both elements. In. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I want to kind of bring this to where you're going to say. Oh right. yeah. I was just going to say, um, I know we've been talking about like all of these different elements and stuff. So I was just going to say, we, we don't read scripture because we like every little thing that mm. it says. <laughs> I want to point that out. Like there are a lot of things in there that really rub me the wrong way, get under my skin or just straight up aggravate me. Yeah. Um, we believe and agree with scripture because it is what God is saying. Yeah. So, and that is worship. So maybe we can discuss a little bit, um, how agreeing with God is worship. What would y'all think about that? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, knowing firstly that the goal of scripture is to know God, if, if scripture is God speaking to reveal himself, then my approach to reading it is going to be to know him and therefore it's going to be worship in action. Right. And, uh, anytime we are, you know, as we kind of discussed in a couple of the others, as far as whether it's a spouse or someone we just really want to know, we, uh-huh. we respect them and we want to get to know them in whatever way we are showing them um, love by that pursuit. Yeah. And so it's worship to God just by wanting to go read it to get to know him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gracie, this goes to what you were saying earlier. I think scripture more than anything else gets our eyes off of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it increases worship for me when I read a passage like Ephesians 2, I'm dead. You know, I'm the child of disobedience. The wrath of God abides on me. But then there's this hinge word in there, but Mm. God who is rich in mercy. And so the scripture, yes, even the Psalms, I mean, just look at the Psalms. David routinely starts off with how bad life is, right, right, and how bad his condition is. But this he sucks. always, yeah, he always ends up with his eyes on God, right. and that is really the function of Scripture: is wherever we're at to lift our eyes up to God, and that's what's going to ultimately cause us to worship. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the gospel, whether it's understanding His nature, it's going to lead us to worship of Him. But that's why we have to be in the Scripture because I don't believe that we will naturally worship God if we're not no. if we're not being fed from the Scripture and having our minds turned that way. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I think there's been a great discussion. I agree. Um, I know there are a ton more things we can hit on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, we're going to wrap this puppy up. And I just want to thank you all for watching. Hopefully something here has been beneficial to you. Hopefully you're encouraged to go and read God's words uh, (laughs) and uh, get to know him. Let your hearts be uh, warmed. And um, that sounded really Kind of Let creepy, your heart but be warm. <laughs> <laughs> by the love letter from God. No, yes, <laughs> but really, if you have any questions or if you would like to suggest a, a topic, uh, email us at theodoxpodcast at gmail.com and have a great day. Peace out, suckers. <laughs> <laughs>